Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlo and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, what's that pain you're feeling? Is it a possible mild sinus headache from when you woke up this morning? Or is it rather from watching the Pelicans attempt to play basketball? It's debatable either way. Either way. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parch the third, better known as RP3. I'm joined inside the studios by a man who I believe is starting to give up hope. I believe is starting to reserve himself, come to terms with the fact that the Pelicans are going to end the season as the Pelicans. Dawson Iserlo. Good morning, sir. Good morning. I didn't. I didn't know they played. I thought they weren't playing anymore the rest of the way. That's what I had heard. <laughs> they were just going to load manage throughout the rest of the season and just kind of take them off. It's unbelievable how poorly they play. Paulo Bancaro, that guy can fill it up, huh? <laughs> you just. Oh man, we got a great show lined up for you today. A jam-packed show. Because it's a Tuesday edition. We're like, you know. Let's go big. Go big or go home. We got Brett Chancey stopping by, our buddy from the Locked on Astros podcast. will give us his latest thoughts on the happenings involving the Astros during spring training. Raging Cajun men's basketball coach Bob Marlin will join us. His team's gearing up as the number two seed for the Sunbelt Conference men's tournament in Pensacola. Jim Gazzolo, our friend from the Lake Charles American Press, McNeese beat reporter and host of the McNeese Coaches Show, which returns this Wednesday. All the things with the Cowboys and the Cowgirls, including a couple of transfers. And then Ollie Cassell, the editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, will join us. Those are our guests. We'll touch on UL softball, gutting out a win against Ole Miss last night at Lampson Park. We'll look ahead for UL McNeese tonight from the Joe in Lake Charles. And, of course, we'll take your phone calls, as always. Game hotline is open. Love to hear from you. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But let's start off with the Pelicans. After the All-Star break, 23 games. 23. That was all that was left. And they had to start making some moves. Western Conference is all jammed up. We know that. Not that much separation from the teams that are 
really in fourth place all the way down to 12th. Not a lot of separation. A couple games. But the way the Pelicans have played basketball is more concerning than where they're at in the standings. Yes, after last night's loss, they remain in 10th place. They're 30-32 and 32 overall. They've now lost four straight. They've lost three coming right out of the All-Star break where you really kind of need to maybe, you know, start strong. And they're losing games to teams that aren't good. No one believes that the Orlando Magic are a good team. In fact, they're one of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference, which makes them one of the worst teams in the National Basketball Association. Even with last night's win, the Magic are 26-36. and 36. This is a team that's 10 games under 500, and they're in the Eastern Conference. And the Pels are like, wait up, what, real? For real? Oh, come on, man, we got this. Let's show the folks how we lose. Let's show the folks at home how we lose. Just inexplicable. Just inexplicable how poorly this team plays. And I don't understand it. And the reason why I don't understand what's going on is because we've seen this roster for, what, 98% how it was constructed a year ago? In the same situation where they didn't have their face of the franchise – it's kind of hard being a face of a franchise if you never play. Just like to throw that out there. Alleged face of the franchise was not playing at all. And yet, they found a way to rally. They found a way to make the play-in tournament. They found a way to make it into the playoffs. And then, with a healthy Zion back, it looked like they were building some momentum for this year. But then B.I. got hurt. And Herb Jones got hurt. Then Zion got hurt. But everyone else came back. Except for Zion. Still nursing that hammy. Still struggling to come back. And yet this team does not know how to play basketball. This isn't, oh, you lost to the Denver Nuggets. Or, oh, you lost to the Milwaukee Bucks and you couldn't stop Giannis. Or you couldn't stop Jason Tatum from dropping 50 on you. Couldn't stop Paulo Bencaro, though. <laughs> Just. They couldn't stop Dawson's favorite Orlando Magic player. I, I have no words because I don't understand. Same coach, same roster, same situation, essentially, without Zion. And this team looks absolutely lost and has so for a month and a half now going on two months. He's just got a sweet mid-range game, though. He kind of pulls up top of the key, creates his own shot. He's got length, sweet, size. I mean, sweet, what else would you want? Sweet mid-range game, he says. How are you supposed to guard that guy? It's not the Pelicans' fault, right? <laughs> He's been in the league, you know, a whole six months. Oh, They now have the third uh, current active longest losing streak in the Western Conference with four games at only trails. The Rockets, who have lost nine, and the San Antonio Spurs, who are in full tank mode. 
They've lost 16 in a row. What's Greg Popovich still coaching for? Pop could have retired. Why is Greg Popovich putting himself through this nonsense of, I would assume, is supposedly a rebuild? It does look like the Spurs are actually tanking, but 101 to 93. You lost you lost at home like the pelicans are trash on the road they're supposed to be better at home and still they found a way to lose to the orlando magic the orlando magic woof i don't i don't even know what else this would be said B.I. had 25 points, six rebounds, five assists. Pretty efficient, eight and 19 from the field, seven and eight from the free throw line. He gave you 25. C.J. McCollum gets you 18, and that's what you can pretty much expect from C.J., right? 16 to 18 points. If two of your guys are getting you 25 and 18 you should have a pretty good chance of winning the game because you expect somebody else, a couple of other guys, Dawson, to uh, step up and contribute. No, no, not the Pellies. And then Willie Green inexplicably went with only four guys off the bench because the rest of the starters were getting the job done. That's curious. Like you're you're on the struggle bus. Why aren't you playing other guys? The bench actually did pretty well. They all contributed at least four points. Valachunas, what happened? Like, I, 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 honestly, what happened to him? Because he's always been a defensive liability, but now offensively he doesn't show up. <clears throat> it's not like he got in foul trouble either. Richardson... Gives him a nice little consistent spark. But why isn't Jose playing more? Why isn't Kyra playing more? I have questions, like legitimate questions. Like every time I see Jose Alvarado play for the Pelicans, he gives them a spark. Every time I see Kyra Lewis Jr. play for the Pelicans, he gives them a spark. Why aren't those guys playing? I have no idea. Last night, guess what? They got the DNP. Oh, yeah. DMP only played four guys off the bench and lose at home to a dreadful Orlando Magic team. Woof. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on, Randy. My man's ready to go early in the morning. Good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind? Well, good morning, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I unfortunately watched that game last night, and um, – it was a stink fest. It was a brick show. It was whatever you want to call it. It was who was going to miss the most three-pointers was going to lose, and that happened to be the Pelicans. Uh, my God, the shooting on both sides was so terrible. Uh, it makes me wonder, you're, you're talking about Popovich. What about our guy? Why is he even coaching? It's simple math. If you can't make the shot, don't shoot it. Why are they throwing up all those bricks from downtown when they know they can't make them? Our team is terrible from the arch. Terrible. And when you talk about Valanciunas not showing up, every time he got the ball, it seemed he was passing it back out to the arch. 
was like he wasn't even trying. They're uh, uh, Rainy. They are a they they shoot the three ball poorly, yet they continue to shoot it. Uh, and 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 this is right. something that's popped up. We've talked about. Do they have enough outside shooting? And Trey Murphy's supposed to be that guy, but I don't know what happened. I don't know why he's now on the bench out, out of the All-Star break. I'm not for sure why that is. But if he's your best three-point shooter, don't you think he should be the one shooting the most three-point shots? But he's not. I, I, but he's not. I think so, but the problem the Pelicans are so much better in the paint. I don't know why they don't focus their offense in the paint. Those days that you see them drop a buck 30 or whatever, that's what they're doing. They're doing it in the paint. They're not doing it from the three-point line. But they just abandon it. It's like, I don't know. I'm thinking this coach needs to go. I know they're grown men that make millions of dollars. The coach doesn't have as much effect on them as like a college coach does. But something has to give. You're right. You get four guys off the bench when the five are out there shooting bricks from the three-point line, you know, Come on, you score less than 100 points, and that was not a defensive game last night. That was both teams shooting really badly. Fair point, Randy. Appreciate the phone call, brother. Be safe out there today. Good morning. And and Orlando is terrible on the road. It was only their 11th win on the road all season, Dawson. Yeah, so – you know, to Woof. kind of further you and Randy's points there, what you're talking about, the Pelicans in the month of November. As uh, let me let me check this one more time to make sure it's right because I kind of all stats and research division already cranked up on this Tuesday. Uh, the Pelicans were ninth in the NBA in three point percentage in November. Yep. Right. So the first when they were playing really really well uh, in the Pelicans last 15 games. You have any idea what they're ranked in three point percentage? Oh, next to last. 29th. The only team worse is the Houston Rockets, who's actively trying to lose games. So um, they went from being a top 10 three-point shooting team when they had Zion to now being basically the worst three-point shooting team in the league. And Zion doesn't shoot threes at all. Now, I know he impacts that because his floor spacing creates open looks. That's and that's, correct. that's legitimate. But also... You've just got guys that aren't – I mean, McCollum's one for eight last night. CJ, look, I love CJ, and I, I think it was a great move when they went out and got him. I actually asked this to some friends of mine last night. I said, does he do any of the little things well at times? When the, when the, and, and I know he does at certain points, but like last night, he had this stretch where for about three, four minutes where he picked up two or three just egregious loose ball fouls, missed a couple of threes, kind of got lost in transition a couple of times, mm. and it's just – Man, it's just frustrating for him to be playing 36 minutes last night and Ingram playing 38. When you mentioned Alvarado's plays well when he comes in and he doesn't play that much and Lewis doesn't play at all. And, like, I know he had to carry the load for a long time and I, I gave him a pass on that. But right now, like, CJ's got to be, he's got to be a better second option than what he was last night. He can't go 8 of 18 from the field. And very specifically, he can't go 1 of 8 from 3. You know, when Herb goes one for four, one for five from three, it's okay because he's a defensive player. He's not an offense, right? He's not an offensive guy. When you have Herb in the lineup, it's not because you expect to get anything from him offensively. Nothing. He's he he's your defender, so you take and that's. I hate to say it this way. That's also maybe part of their roster construction issue. You have one of your starting five guys that's not an offensive player, in a league that is now. Let's be honest. It's all about offense. 
Like you got to you got to average 120 to 125 points a game. The Pelicans scored 93 last night. I just well, and you know what's funny too is we we talk about them taking too many threes, and while it feels like they are, they're 27th in the league in their last 15 in three point shots attempted. They're actually not taking that many threes. They're, they're just, just missing. They're well, they're missing them, and they're just overall inefficient on offense. So I think it, it looks worse when you're constantly not scoring on the inside as well, and then you kick out in mysteries as well. I think from the per, you know from a fan's perspective, it seems like you're taking more. But they're actually taking significantly less threes. Because, again, if I go back to what they did in the, in the early months of the season, which, of course, was when they were at their, you know, at their peak, in, in the month of November they were taking more threes, but they were making them. Uh, and, and, they, and they overall, they just, they've never actually been near the top of the league in threes attempted, which it, it feels weird because it feels like they take a ton. Uh, in December they were 20th in three points attempted. In November they were 25th. So even though they were making them, they still weren't taking as many as I actually thought they would. That that's that surprised me. That's actually not what I was expecting to see there. And Zion is a great talent. I'm not going to say player because he hasn't played enough. Great talent. I get it that he's out and it impacts what you do. I totally understand that. But as an organization, as a team, you got to be able to figure out how to still win games. And what's frustrating, they did this last year. <laughs> and they did it literally last year when they didn't have Zion at all. And they started off terrible, remember? They were awful, and they made the McCullum trade. And then they, they caught lightning in a, bo- a bottle. But this, this is RP3 and company on the game. <laughs> they got so fired up. The vibrations for me pounding on the desk made the computer start to play when it shouldn't. We've seen this before. We've seen them do this. They just look lost out there, man. Lost offense and defense. It's on both ends because they're not playing very good defense either. Poll question of the day. Are the Pelicans still capable of being a playoff team? Yes, no, maybe, or my personal favorite option. And the one I went with because, well, it's the one I chose. When is Major League Baseball opening day? (laughs) Go vote on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. And we'll make sure to share them throughout today's show. We got to take a time out when we return. Raging Cajun softball. They got out a win against Ole Miss. Dawson and I will tell you all about it. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Louisiana Raging Cajuns gut out a win last night, 3-2 to two there at Lamson Park. It's an intriguing game to look back on. I was there for it. 
there's a lot of good from the game. Ultimately, uh, the, the greatness is that they were able to get the win. But there's some small little things that Coach Glasgow's team's going to have to kind of clean up. It's still early in the season, so they have time. And the fact they were able to have some mental errors, some miscues, and still was able to get the win in extra innings is going to be a, a great confidence booster. I mean, it's so much so that the team got Jerry Glasgow to dance a little bit after the game. And he had no idea what he was dancing, you know, what the dance was, but he, he he did it. And he actually was smiling after the game as well. They win 3-2. to two. Alexa Langeliers comes up huge in this game, and she makes up for a gaffe that she had. It's 2-0. Megan Shorman had pitched very well in this game. And then came the seventh inning. And everything kind of went sideways for the Cajuns in the seventh. Because it began promising. She strikes out Whitley to start the inning. Shorman did. And she started off a little bit slow, only gave up the one extra base hit in the second inning. And then she got her first strikeout, and then it was... Another strikeout in the fourth, two more in the fifth, two more in the sixth, and then she starts off the seventh with a K. But then she gives up the single to Michaela Allen, then gives up the double to Caitlin Riley. Both of those, you know, Michaela Allen was an absolute tear for Ole Miss. She was three for three at that point. Gets the pop out, gets the fly out, and she's now at two outs. And then she hits the nine-hole hitter. And you're like, oh, no. The nine-hole hitter, Dawson, who was not good. That loads the bases. It's two outs, bases loaded. You're one out away from getting a, a shutout victory. And Savannah Sykes comes up, gets the RBI, what should have been a routine play, and Langeliers, for whatever reason, scoops it up. And instead of making the play at first, which is what you typically should do in that regard, she tries to throw to second, throws it in the dirt, throws it past the second baseman, rolls into right field, two-run score, tie ball game. So a sequence of things goes completely off the rails for the Cajuns. Right, right because... Shorman, who is so good, gives up back-to-back hits. Then she hits a batter. And then Langeliers commits a throwing error inexplicably. But they find a way as she comes up in the bottom of the eighth and is able to be the hero. She had already had the solo home run in this ballgame. She was already sensational at the dish. With an RBI single, and then she got on base with a walk, and then she had the solo home run, and there she is in the bottom of the eighth. Bases get juice, and she just just absolutely blasts the pitch, hits the wall in, le- in right center field. Ball game over. Cajuns win 3-2. But there are little things 
whether it was the error by Langeliers or Shoreman hitting a batter or for whatever reason, Stormy had two base running gaffes in this in this game. The first one right in the first inning where she runs past. She gets a single and then makes the turn and runs too far past the bag. And they get her out, 9-3. So she gets a single and then keeps running. They got her out. It's like, oh. And then she has another base running mishap in this game. Base running mishaps, hit batters, errors. They still find a way to win. And it's a quality win, Dawson, especially considering they lost, you know, they only won one game of the six at the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational. Since then, they've taken down number 25 UCF. They split with LSU. Now they beat Ole Miss. This is good, but there's still some things that they're learning, kind of figuring out, so to speak. Yeah, the good news is Megan Shorman's probably the ace at this point, and that's a little bit clearer than it was for a while. I would agree um, to that. Sam struggled early in the season, and hopefully she's going to figure it out. And you'd imagine she will. With the she came. Of she came in relief last night. And, yeah, and, and got the job done. Wasn't? And, and Jerry talked about how it's important for her to get right, some bullpen right. work. Um, offensively, I think they're still trying to figure some things out. Since they got Maya Davis back, that kind of gives them a different look, and I think they're they're figuring it out. They're going to face, you know. Lesser pitching once they get through this gauntlet in the Sunbelt Conference, and I think they'll really start to score some runs at that point. That's fair. Um, they're doing enough right now, and again, Langliers and Carly Heath are really holding it down for you. Vic Valdez has been fantastic as a freshman, but some some people, you know, Stormy's been a little disappointing. I think Sophie as well. You know, there's there's some things that they could improve offensively, um, but I do still think that's going to come. The bigger concern is defensively, and it's it's more it's just the middle infield spots and. Yes. You've started off with Sissy Vasquez playing short. We kind of thought that's where they were going to go. Coach Glasgow kind of talked about her being the better pure defender, um, possibly of of her and Langliers. But then Langliers was a little more comfortable at short after a few weeks, you know. And Sissy hasn't played second though; she's always been a shortstop. So it, right. it's kind of a weird dynamic. He's been kind of playing musical chairs there, and now Kylie Griffin who's been giving you a little bit more of an option at the plate. She can hit. She's in there at second base. And, you know, that play in the ninth, or in, not the ninth, the seventh, is a lot of things going on at once. First of all, yeah, and I'm more used to baseball where you a ground ball to shortstop in that spot, you're not even considering going a second. Because first no. of all, and, and that's a baseball mentality that, you know, it, I kind of struggle for, you know, having played baseball so long, going back and forth to the softball way of thinking. Um in baseball, that runner's got a lead and is getting a good secondary with two outs and is going to be closer to second. So you're just not even thinking about second base. You're just throwing it the first. In softball, I guess it's always easier to make the shorter throw. And, you know, if you have a faster base runner, it's tough. But I don't know. I thought I thought the play was at first the whole way. The other thing is that when she looks up and sees Kylie Griffin not even near the base, first of all, the base runner was going to be safe regardless. So there's so many things you just put in your pocket. You know what I mean? You have to have that situational awareness that even if I don't throw this ball at all, it's 2-1. to one. We still have the next chance to get this next batter out and win the game. Instead, she tries to force a throw. She throws it in the right field. The game's tied. So that's something. And Langlier's is going to have to be better at short, or they're going to have to go back to Vasquez at short. I don't know. They have to figure out the middle infield defense, especially in the game of softball. There's too much that goes through those defenders to to be weak in that spot. And I thought she – but, hey, she came up – the. The pitching staff picked her up. Sam Landry got out of the jam, and yep. then you go out. Maddie Hayden with a big double to set up the moment, and then they walk, which I think, you know, you kind of saw that too. They walked 
uh, the batter before her, which was it, Carly Heath. The Carly came in, uh, and as they a walked sub. her, yeah. and Carly kind of pointed over to Langlers when they walked her, and probably mm-hmm. one of those, hey, they're disrespecting went, you. This went is right your moment. To her, went and and the the fact that uh, look, I, I get in Langlers talked about afterwards. She understands, even though she was a little surprised, she understands why it is because you, you load up the bases to get the force out right at home. That's that that that's your mentality. That's your percentage play there. She even talked about it afterwards. But, you know, uh, RBI single in the first, drew a walk in the fourth, hit a solo home run in the fifth. I don't know if that's the person you really want to face. And she made him play because I, I thought I thought it was gone. When, when, you, when, when you heard it hit the bat, I was like, uh-oh. And we all just kind of looked up, and it died down enough, but it got over the, the fielder's head and hit the wall. And I was like, yeah. there it is. Yeah, what, the, the walk-off Grand Slam would have just been a better theatrical and, <laughs> and a better uh, kind of visual Look, there. But this team is a work in progress. They have flaws. They're pushing through them. They're learning from them. And the fact that they're still able to win some of these games, Dawson, right, after hanging tough but not getting the wins that they wanted down in Florida to beat UCF, to beat LSU, to beat an Ole Miss team that looks like they're probably going to be a top 40, top 50 team this year, those are all good things. And now they have to go on the road to the Longhorn Invitational and they'll face McNeese on Friday at 2 o'clock, and then they'll face Texas, the host, at 7. So they'll have some more tough competition on the docket for this coming weekend when they have to go over to Austin. Yeah, and Texas is is a team that's 11-2-1 to start the season. They had a tie against Kentucky. I'm not sure what happened there. That was in Clearwater. I guess maybe they had a uh, time limit on that game. But um, they've played two ranked teams or three ranked teams. They tied Kentucky, they beat Missouri, and they lost to Northwestern by one, not 10-9. to So... They're a very good team, and that's going to be a good test. McNeese maybe isn't as far along as we thought, but they should be a pretty good team as well and pretty good test for they them. They already have two top 25 ranked wins on their resume this Yep, season. and they're a team that lost a couple of games to Ole Miss last weekend. So Ole Miss is one of those teams coming into the season, pretty high expectations, maybe a transitional year, kind of a similar thought that you had about LSU. Um, Ole Miss comes out pretty hot, then they really struggle, but now they're starting to heat up again. So... I don't know where that win's going to rank at the end of the season, but it's important that they got it because it would have been especially a crushing loss when you go in with a 2 nothing lead, feeling pretty confident about yourself. So you find a way to get that done. That should, at the very least, be an RPI helper because Ole Miss is going to have a high RPI being in the SEC. So It's going to help you. Yeah, that's and, another and, one. You, and look, you keep stacking these, these quality wins against quality opponents, and you're going to end up where you want to be. It's a win over an SEC opponent that you faced in the regionals a few years ago. That's a win. That's a big deal. Still got work to do, though, but they got out a win last night, 3-2. to two. We're going to take a timeout. When we return, we'll talk a little Raging Cajuns baseball. They're in action tonight over in Lake Charles, taking on McNeese there at Joe Miller Ballpark. We'll talk about that next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to The Game's YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. That was a great series, uh, obviously. Uh, but besides the four wins, first four game sweep in 28 years, I mean, it's hard to fathom. 
but it just speaks how hard four-game series are, and they're kind of rare. Uh, but it was a, I thought it was a really good series by both teams, actually. And uh, BYU has got really good ball club. Uh, I think they're going to have a great season moving forward. Uh, they're well coached, obviously, and they've got really good personnel, and they're older. Uh, we were fortunate to come out of that thing with a sweep. I think was it three, two, two or three? They were all one-run games except for one. Three out of four. Uh, so, and that you know that goes to our character as well, and uh, the belief that those boys have and the leadership that's inside that clubhouse. So. I thought the fans were awesome this weekend, and our players did too. Uh, they were out in full force uh, for the most part and, and were in it from first pitch to the last, which was awesome uh, to see because it's a definitive advantage for us here at home. Matt Deggs talking about his team getting the sweep over BYU. Strong start to the season for the Raging Cajuns baseball team. Took two or three on the road at Rice. Then turn around and you sweep BYU. Now, tonight you get to go over to Lake Charles and take on old rival McNeese. Cowboys bounced back this past weekend, taking two or three on the road, winning their first series of the year. They're still trying to figure some things out, specifically with their pitching staff. Cajuns baseball. We brought this up yesterday. And you said I was a little too ambitious. If they figure out the pitching, 35 wins is not out of the realm of possibility, right? No. I. When did I say you were too ambitious? Well, we were talking about 40. Well, I just don't like throwing a number of wins on it. I'd rather... I'd, I'd rather talk about the positioning as far as the regional chase and the ranking system because... If you're losing games, but you're losing to quality opponents and you're playing well, I don't put the and like my point there is, we don't know how good the Sun Belt Conference is going to be, how deep it's going to be, and we don't know how deep some of these midweek opponents are going to be. So, well, we know a, Southern Miss is going to be really good, right? Right. We, and Texas State looks pretty good. They actually lost a series to Oral Roberts this weekend, but the weekend before they scored a billion runs, so they're going to yes. be. And they have both of their, you know, their their problem last year was the depth in the pitching staff. They have their top end aces back, so if they figured some of those <clears throat> things out, they're going to be fine. But I just don't like putting a number of wins on it because I think you don't know really what the schedule is going to look like. But yeah, they they should win. I mean, thirty wins would be pretty disappointing, actually. I mean, because you, you're you're going to be sitting near five hundred if you win thirty games. It's roughly. I think I think thirty five wins is probably a realistic expectation if they figure out the pitching. Now, if we're talking regular season, then okay, because 35 wins, you know, 40 wins if you're counting postseason games, which you're hoping that it includes a nice run in the tournament as well as a trip to the regionals. Oh, of course. So then 40 wins is not, you know, yeah, that's something to kind of talk about. But anyway, the things that I've seen with this team that I really like, number one, offensively, they're, they're, they're far along. Like they're, They've progressed to the point that you would like to see a team later in the season, the way they swing the bats and move base runners. They, their you know, best hitters haven't even got started yet. 
Yeah, and Deggs' philosophy, that. I mean, his philosophy on hitting and the way he, and not just hitting, but offense. I think that's a great thing, too. It's different in the Major League game, right? That's what I love about college baseball. It's an approach on an offensive level. They do things other than swinging the bats to create runs. They do things mm-hmm. with the base runners. I mean, they do first and third rundown stuff that you do in high school, and they get away with it. It works a lot. Like, that's the type of stuff that I think is awesome that Matt Deggs embraces. This and- is RP3 and company on the... We're having problems with the computer this morning. <laughs> Again, I'm nowhere near that button. But that button decided it was going to go. That button decided it was time to play that clip, my friend. Are you good? Yeah, we're going to figure that out at some point. I'm not sure what's going on. But um, maybe it's because we're always late to get the breaks. Maybe that's why the button's playing. I, I, I will shoulder the blame. Here, I have no problems with that. Where was I? Offense, yeah. Offense, even their best hitters haven't even really got started yet. Yeah, yeah, Marshak is going to figure it out. I think Veyon, you started to see some swings over the weekend. Rockefort's the one that's been the most surprising to me that he hasn't been, you know, rolling so far. But, you know, overall, I think the the progression of where they are offensively is further along than I thought they were going to be, and I think that's 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 dangerous for a team like this. Pitching-wise... it's a, What I love is there's competition within the rotation. And, I mean, look, Jackson has a... We still hope he's going to factor into the plans. I think, obviously, he's unlikely to start this week. And you're going to get to see somebody else in that Sunday role. And I think uh, from there, if you can find three reliable guys and then you start to position your bullpen, they're going to be in good shape. And so far, you know, I worried about the quality of depth of arms in the, bull, in, in the bullpen and in the rotation coming into the year. I've, I've, I've been pleasantly surprised. Still need to see it some more. And I think this weekend, look, you're playing one of the premier offensive teams in the country in Campbell, a team that went to a regional last year and scored a ton of runs. So you're going to get a great test, and I think we'll have a better idea and a better measuring stick of where this pitching staff is you know, come Monday of next week. McNeese tonight, and then obviously a three-game set against Campbell, who you said the Camels were an NCAA regional team a year ago. And Deggs talked about looking ahead to the week of competition that his team's going to face. This week, we've got to flip the page. Uh, last week's over. Uh, McNeese always plays us tough. They have a great venue and a great atmosphere as well. We're looking forward to going over there. We'll start Brennan Moody. Uh, it's his turn to go again. So uh, we'll start him uh, tomorrow night and uh, look to get off to a great start and, and play some good baseball. Uh, if you fast forward to this weekend, Campbell is uh, maybe uh, one of our better opponents all year. Uh, they're really, really good and uh, great coaching staff. They have great players, uh, and they've got a really good track record going over the last several years. They're top 30 program, in my opinion, and uh, so it'll be exciting baseball this weekend. We'll know more about the Raging Cajuns after this weekend because you're facing an NCAA regional team from a year ago. They're a quality program. They're their top 30, top 35, top 40 program in the country. If they can take two or three, they can win that series against Campbell. You're going to feel pretty good about this team's chances. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and company, we'll update that poll question of the day. Oh, yeah, that's what we're going to do and share your comments. That's all next right here on the game. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Here on RP3 and Company, everyone is apparently part of the game family. Brother, 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 brother. Seriously, how many brothers does Ray have? Good morning to you, brother. Back to Ray and all of his brothers, right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Someone asked me the other day about the brother thing, and I just tell them I'm in my mid-40s and I grew up with wrestling. So, of course, I refer to every other guy as brother. (laughs) Just, you know, you you get raised on Mid-South and old-school WWF, you're going to refer to other people as brother. That's just how that works. Brother. Poll question of the day. Are the Pelicans or as I like to call them, the Pelicans, still capable of being a playoff team. Everyone told me that everything was going to be okay, by the way, about the Pelicans. That's what I was told by a lot of people. I have receipts. Are they still capable of being a playoff team? 46% say no. 25% say maybe. 21% say when is Major League Baseball opening day? And 8% say yes. Let's get to some comments. JPK, the OD. Zion has played in 114 of 308 regular season games in his career. When you're in year four and people are still discussing your potential, you're broken and the people are fools. Hashtag Zion to the Knicks. Hashtag no court time, no chemistry. He also says, fun with numbers, 82 NBA games in a year. Zion averages 28. Coincidence? Salty Steve says, no Zion, 20 games left, tough schedule, and a lot of offensive issues means they'll be very fortunate to make a play-in slot. That scenario is highly unlikely and looks like the lottery is in their future. Hart says, when you struggle the whole game with one of the lower-ranked offenses, it's not looking too promising. The consistency or lack thereof on three-point shooting has been an issue. And John Paul Cajun Daddy says, there's something wrong. They fixed it last year. This year, they're running out of time. Those are all fair comments. You can keep them coming. I don't know how they fix it. Like, I just... And I really don't expect to see Zion. Dawson, do you expect to see Zion? We got 20 games left. Not really. Boy, sure does feel like that's getting shut down for the year. Expect the worst, hope for the best. That's where I am with Zion. I don't, I don't, I don't see it really happening. You know, the two things that aren't getting fixed right now is this board that's playing things on its own and the Pelicans' <laughs> offensive struggles. So... <laughs> They got that in common. <laughs> the man is already. And it only took me all less than a month to make him negative about the Pelicans. <laughs> I just, I'm not negative when it comes to the Pels. I'm just realistic. Just saying. Just saying. Whew. Can't wait for Zion to come back and they make a run. Huh? Let's be positive. Let's be positive. Our number one is positively over. Hour number two, we'll kick it off with Brett Chancey of Locked On Astros podcast. That's next, right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlo and your big, bald, beautiful.
beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, 7.03 on the hour, and second hour has arrived for RP3 and company. Hour number one, we spent it talking about the New Orleans Pelicans on the struggle bus. Still. Still driving it. And still driving it erratically. We talked about the Raging Cajun softball team gutting out a 3-2 extra innings win over the Ole Miss Rebels at Lampson Park. We talked a little Raging Cajuns baseball. They're going to be taking on McNeese tonight in Lake Chuck. But right now, it's time for us to talk a little Houston Astros baseball. Spring training is in full effect. The defending champs, man, they're looking to run it back. And a man that we always like to run it back with, our friend from the Locked On Astros podcast and a contributing columnist for 1037thegame.com, Brett Chancey joins us. Bud, it's been too long. How you been? Man, I've been doing excellent. It has, it, You know, it was great listening to the intro and the Zotico music because, I mean, just how more, how much more Louisiana can you get? And I got RP3 on with me. I mean, dude, I'm so pumped. The the Astros, I mean, baseball's back, and we got these crazy rules that have come into play. And my son and I in two weeks are headed to spring training for the first time, so I'm really pumped, man. Oh, man, that's going to be awesome. It's going to be absolutely awesome for you and your boy. There's going to be some great memories. So let's talk about the the rules before we dive into the Strohs themselves. What do you make of this, uh, the pitch clock, how it's been utilized so far in spring training, and what is it going to do for the games this upcoming season? Well, you know, first and foremost, anything we do say about it, whether we like it or not, is no matter what we say, it's not going anywhere, right? It's here. And – so we just, I guess, have to grin and bear it. But on the early onset, it just, to me, seems a little rushed. It it really gives the pitcher an advantage over the hitter. Um, the, you know, Major League Baseball is trying to create more offense, but they're also creating less strategy from the hitter with less time in the box. You know, and there are some things that you can make arguments for. Some batters take too long, they lollygag, whatever. Um, the the pitchers and the players are ultimately going to adjust because the minor leaguers that are up, the Jimmy Endersby's, the Joe Record, Corey Lee, all these guys with the Astros, they've already worked with that pitch clock. They they know what it's like. I just don't think it's enough time in between pitches. I think when a pitcher, if a pitcher asks for a new ball, even if it's a delay tactic, I think the timer should restart. There are some inherent issues right now, but I'm glad we're seeing it now in spring training so that we're not shocked by it when a game ends on a third strike call in the ninth inning and a team doesn't actually get an opportunity to hit the ball or to execute. The problem with me is you're awarding a pitch that wasn't earned. Yeah, and we saw what happened in the Brave spring training game where, you know, <laughs> the end of it was yep. was was not ideal. I think it's something that they're going to work through, and I think you're going to see batters make the adjustment. And look, most hitters aren't going to have a problem with this because most most hitters aren't going to take that long. But you do have some guys that take way too long, right? And and I guess this is Major League Baseball's way of trying to fix this. 
Um, we'll, we'll see if it actually works, though. Right? Yeah, you know, it's yes, you're right. Now, what's interesting about the competition committee that decided on these rules, of the 11 committee members, four were major league players, and all four of them unanimously voted against the pitch clock and the banning of the shift. So you know how the players ultimately feel about it, but it's kind of like, you know, taxes. Like, well, it's here. I guess it's, I guess that's not going away. So it's the way they're changing the game. I think the reasons they're changing the game are a little off, but we just have to make the best of it. I still think it's the best sport on the planet, and we're definitely going to see – we're going to see some significant games, I think, decided in the next couple of years because of this pitch clock. And I'll say this. If it works for your team, you're going to love it. If it works against your team, you're probably going to hate it. Let's talk about the big fella, uh, Jordan Alvarez, because some people have been asking me, why not just have surgery at the end of the season? Why is he going to go through this season playing in pain and it looks like they're going to have to give him time off to deal with it, and he's a slugger. You kind of need to be able to use your hands and wrist. Uh, give us your take on that situation. Yeah, to me it's clearly frustrating because it seems like when a pitcher's injured or something, they like, hey, let's get it taken care of. Now, I don't know if Jordan hasn't been, wasn't forthcoming with them in the offseason, but we were surprised when we heard that he came into camp because they said, oh, he just needs rest. He doesn't need surgery. Well, if you haven't even really swung a bat and what you did over the summer aggravated your hand, there's obviously deeper issues. I don't know. I don't even know what's going on with it, to be honest with you. I just know he's not swinging a bat. I mean, Michael Brantley is swinging a bat more than Jordan. That's not a good thing. Um, to me, surgery should have been done. But, look, they claim the doctors told them, that it didn't need surgery, um, and and I'm not a physician, so I'm not medically qualified. It just seems weird that the month and a half or whatever that he had off, that he wouldn't come back ready to swing a bat. It's concerning. I mean, he had the injury, and he dealt with it, and he powered through and came <clears throat> up big with some clutch hits, but Major League Baseball season is long season. It's one thing to manage him through the postseason – it's a whole nother bear to have to do it through the regular season, and then you hope a postseason because you brought everyone back to run it back to try to win back-to-back. So I, that that's a huge question mark. If, if he can't go fully, and they're going to have to load manage him, to use an NBA term, how are they going to do that, in your opinion, Brett? Well, I think with, you know, obviously – Gosh, I say when Brantley's ready. I mean, we we hope he's ready opening day. If he's not, I guess you've got Mauricio Dubon. Um, You could maybe put Hensley out there. Hensley's more of your infield utility. Hey, there's this kid, Justin Dearden, that's hitting the cover off the ball right now. And this kid has absolutely raked his first couple years in the minors with the Astros. And he's 25, 26 years old. You know, this may be an opportunity where if there's a long injury stint and Jake Myers isn't pulling through, that someone like Justin Deirdre could come up and fill the spot quite admirably. So I don't think it's a panic situation right now, but there are several pieces that are in the mix 
to get that fourth or fifth out, outfielder spot. Mauricio Dubon actually looks really good. He put on some weight. Um, he's making dives, making catches. So it's not dire, but it's also not ideal. <laughs> we just we need Jordan healthy so we don't have to figure out this outfield situation like it's a quadratic equation, you know? Talking with Brett Chancey, he's co-host of the Locked On Astros podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. You mentioned Brantley. Don't know if he'll be ready for the season, but at least he's swinging a bat. Once he does come back, the veteran hitter, he's got a quality bat. We know what he is in the locker room, in the clubhouse, so to speak, for this team. How how is Dusty Baker going to utilize the uh, old man, so to speak? You know, I I really don't think him taking taking, um, first base practice, taking grounders with the first baseman was just some random – shenanigans in spring training. I really think that first base might be an option on days that they don't want him out in the outfield. Um, You know, Brantley is your ultimate team guy. He's going to do whatever you ask him to do. And he's going to play left field. He's probably going to DH. If he can hit and he's good, hopefully, see, the hope is, on Jordan being healthy, because Jordan wants to play a majority of the games in left field. Well, if you're not hitting, you're you're not going to be out there at all. So I think you'll see Brantley a mixture between left field, DH, and you could see him at first base. First base, they might worry less about any impact on his shoulder, because I do I do believe it's his non-throwing shoulder, but he's not making as many. I mean, you may make a dive or a stab, but it's nothing like full-on sprinting and laying out to catch a diving fly ball. I think you'll see Brantley in first base, I don't know how many games, but they're trying to open up his options so that he can get on the field when he's healthy. Who's going to be the backup catcher? Because you can't have Maldonado go a whole 162 games, obviously, because he's another one of the old men on this roster. So who's going to be the backup catcher? If I'm going with my gut and they want offense, I'm going Yonder Diaz because I think offensively he offers more of a weapon, not just catching, but DH. Um, He can also play the field. Um, If they're going purely defense, more than likely it's Corey Lee. Now, who's going to shine in spring training? Is, you know, Corey Lee made, I mean, Diaz made an amazing throw yesterday in the game, and if his defense picks up to add to his offense, I think Diaz is the guy that wins out. But I believe the Astros are higher on Corey Lee as a catching prospect. It is going to be one of those photo finishes, I believe. I don't I don't know that one is going to separate himself that much, that it's going to be, okay, we've got, we've got catcher backup one and one A, if you know what I'm saying. But me personally, I think Diaz is the guy that ultimately wins out because of his offense. With the news that Lance McCullers Jr. is <laughs> probably not going to be ready for the start of the season, not really for sure when he's going to be ready, you still have Valdez, Javier, and Garcia. Urquidy, obviously, is probably your fourth now. With McCullers timetable we not knowing what it is does that present a great opportunity for hunter brown to insert himself as part of this five-man rotation oh yeah i think for sure i think i think he is an inevitable piece of this starting five even if i mean 
if they were going to be able to go six, I think he would be a six man. Um, we've talked on the show how April they probably don't necessarily need to use a six ro- six man rotation because it's April and they have so many days off. But Hunter Brown clearly, um, you know, he was asked, um, "Does you know Lance McCullers' injury change change your perception of your opportunity?" He said, "No, I've I've always had the mindset of going in and being a starter on this team, and the injury didn't change my approach. Um, my approach is the same. This kid's got it. Um, he he's got the stuff." And he's one of the he's one of the top ten preseason, um, you know he he's in the preseason top ten for rookie of the year for a reason. I think Hunter Brown absolutely wins a spot in spring training, especially with Lance McCullers not being able to start the season um, healthy when opening day gets here. We we'll get you out of here with one more, brother. Yuli Gurriel's a fan favorite, beloved by the fan base, and really uh-huh. beloved by a lot of members of that clubhouse as well. What's the likelihood? Give me a percentage. What's the likelihood that in between now and the start of the season that they decide to add Yuli to their roster? Well, if I'm going with zero social media interaction regarding baseball from from Yuli. And a weird cryptic tweet I saw the other day, and I don't even know who it was from. Um, it was from a Spanish-speaking sports website that said, Yuli has had a great career, and it showed his career numbers. It seems like retirement is more likely for him now. To come back to the Astros, I, I would give it a less than 30% chance. I, I, just, I just don't see it in the cards for the Astros. Brother, appreciate your candor and your analysis as always. Keep up the tremendous work with the Locked On Astros, and we'll have you on next week, bud. Hey, thank you so much. And um, everybody in Louisiana, it's been too long. It'll be great talking with y'all each week. Y'all have a good one. And as always, go Strohs. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team, I got one college team, I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for, that's who I support, period. Call me old-fashioned. Vian. Call me old-fashioned, that's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. Uh, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns men's basketball team has had a heck of a season. On Friday night, they were able to beat South Alabama to complete the first undefeated campaign at home in the Cajun Dome era. They're the number two seed for the Sunbelt Conference Tournament, which means they get the double bye. They won't actually hit the court until Saturday at 7.30 inside the Pensacola Bay Center when they take on the winner of Georgia Southern ULM. The Cajuns are 23-7 and and look like they're in great position to make it to the, either the NCAA tournament or the NIT. To talk about his team and their focus this week as they head over to Pensacola, 
is the man that's in charge of the Raging Cajuns. Bob Marlin joins us now. Coach, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great, Raymond. How proud are you of this team being able to go undefeated at home like you guys were able to do on Friday night? Well, it's, it's a, quite an accomplishment. I'm very proud. They put this as a goal early in the year, and they made it a priority. Uh, we had a couple of really tough non-conference games at home. If you remember, Raymond, we trailed uh, a team from up on, on I-10 north of us a little bit, and uh, we rallied and beat them in a great game, 94-88. to and then we played Sanford University, who we knew was really good. They just won the Southern Conference uh, last weekend. So uh, they played Loyola at home, a really good national champion NAIA team. So then we get in a, and then you get, and then you get. We lost coach. Coach, you still there? Yeah, I'm here, but I got music in my ear. We'll try to fix that. All right, Coach. You good now? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. But, yeah, to go through a tough conference schedule like that and a tough non-conference schedule and to pull off something that hadn't been done in 50 years, pretty impressive. The other thing that stood out to me about Friday's game, you know, you've talked about it, and the way you guys played in the second half. You know, here comes South Alabama – they're the, the hottest team in the conference right now, a team that no one really wants to face. And you guys are able to close it out at home, and you did so by playing a strong second half of basketball. How big was that, not only for that game, but how big was it for your team to be able to finish off a quality opponent like that by playing some great basketball in the second half? Yeah, it was important because we struggled in the second half of some recent games and just not defended as well as we needed to. We've scored the ball, but we haven't defended for the most part. So to come out against the South Alabama team, as you said, one, eight and nine, and we give them a, a gift at the halftime, we blow a coverage and let them hit a three point shot to take the lead 29, 28. And then to come out and give them zero three point shots, the second half and play inspired. It wasn't pretty basketball at all times. We didn't shoot the ball very good from the perimeter. Of course, Jordan did inside, but it was a, a really good half for us. 23 and 7 now you get the two seed for the conference tournament and you're on your side of the bracket and look you've done this long enough where it really doesn't matter who's on your side of the bracket because you have to play quality high level basketball if you want to win right and if you want to make a run in the conference tournament it really doesn't matter who your opponent is you just have to take care of business and take care of yourself is that the best mindset to have coach in your experience is just not really be concerned who the opponent is, but mainly the message being to your guys, we're just going to do our game plan, execute what we need to do, and then it will take care of itself. Yeah, I think you're exactly spot on, Raymond. It's important to be the best you can be, and it really boils down to matchups sometimes. And you may have a be in a bracket with six other teams, and there's just one team that you have trouble with matching up and over history. And if you draw that team, it could be an issue. But if you focus on your own team, do it, play into your strengths, as you said, uh, then good things can happen. And, heck, it's just like Al Davis used to say, just win, baby. We've also seen in the last couple years, 
a team that wins the regular season championship doesn't necessarily make it to the conference title game. And we've seen teams maybe be a little bit rusty and they get eliminated early. It's happened to Texas State a couple times. How do you keep your team focused and not allow any rust with not playing a game in a, in a week with receiving the double bye, Coach? Well, we were on the short week last week, right? Right. Um, finished finished on Friday, so we we Saturday off in February was very strange for us, but it was it was good. It was a day of rest uh, and and coming off a busy week and Mardi Gras, et cetera. So we were able to take off uh, two days, Saturday and Sunday. Sunday we had our normal study hall that evening, but uh, got back into it yesterday. Had a, had a Guest speaker come out yesterday. Jake DeLong came and spoke to the team, did a great job. And we watched film and then we worked on our individual shooting. And we'll get back in the gym today uh, and, and keep our same schedule. Raymond, we won't practice as long, but we'll still go as, as intense as we can. You're going to play the winner of either Georgia Southern or uh, you play the winner of the Georgia Southern ULM game. You face both of those teams during the regular season. How do you game plan, if anything at all, Coach, when you don't know who your opponent's going to be? Well, another great question, and we had two different games with them. We were trailing Georgia Southern. We let them shoot the lights out. We were down 19 at halftime and then win the second half by 26. Then we turned around and played Monroe the last time, and we're up 31 at halftime. So we're down 19, up 31, 50-point swing in those two games. Uh but we'll be able to watch them play. Our coaches will be there and we'll watch their game. In fact, our team will be there. We're going to go over Thursday afternoon after practice and we're going to be able to grab dinner and go to the base center and watch a little bit of that game so the new guys can see physically what the arena looks like. How much of a added advantage, if anything at all? I know every team is different. Every year is different, Coach, but – you know, you guys have made some great runs there in Pensacola, including last year when you made it to the, the tournament title game. How much of that experience can be a, a, an advantage for your team, especially a veteran team like you got? I think it helps you feel comfortable. Um, certainly I'm comfortable there in Pensacola, and, and I think our players that were there before uh, are as well. And we first year it was there, it was held there. We lost in the semifinals to Georgia State. And then last year we lost in the finals to Georgia State. So the natural progression is to, to come back and finish the job. And that's what our guys have been working on all spring and summer and fall to get back to Pensacola. And uh, Oliver Houston, our strength coach, has got a saying, defend the code. And uh, that's what we're trying to do. All right, Coach, I'll get you out of here with uh, an easy one. Um I know you spent a lot of time in Pensacola. That city means a lot to you and your family. Uh, I enjoy Pensacola, and I enjoy covering the conference tournament and getting to go to McGuire's and uh, be able to get anything <laughs> off the menu. What do you recommend, brother, for me and Foot when we go over this weekend while we're uh, killing some time and having to grab some lunch? Well, you, you can't go wrong at McGuire's. The burgers are good. The fish and chips are good. There it they, is. They've got a little bit of everything, and it's a festive atmosphere, and it's, it's just a block away from the base center. So you'll have time to run over there and grab some. There's so many good places to eat over there, uh, Raymond. And if you have the time to go for a real sit-down dinner, 
uh, at the beach, go to the Grand Marlin. And when you cross the intercoastal from Gulf Breeze, it's the first building on the left. After you go through the toll booth, you have to take a UE and come back to go to it. But it is outstanding. Coach, I just I literally just wrote that down. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take that recommendation. <laughs> Brother, appreciate the time as always. Uh congratulations on a great regular season. Uh best of luck in the conference tournament. And we'll see you over in Pensacola, Coach. Thanks, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you think RP3 is the only nickname Ray has? Think again. There was Little Vainant. There was Little Foot, Little Bubba. There was LD, which stood for Little Dufo. There was Ray Dog. There was Ray Diggity Dog. There was Fish. There was Fish Face. There was RP3. There was even Ramundo from El Segundo. Back to the host with more nicknames than he knows what to do with. RP3, right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to a technically sound RP3 and company on this Tuesday morning. <laughs> I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, RP3. I'm joined by the producer striving to be extraordinary, Dawson Iserlo, a.k.a. the D-Lo. Good conversation there with Bob Marlin. I did write that down, the Grand Marlin in Pensacola. He says, I got I to gotta make a UE. I wrote that down as well. I can do that. Yeah, traffic in Pensacola can get difficult to manage at times, huh? Uh, well, people love the beach, my man. Yeah. People love the beach. They love the white sandy beaches. Why do you hate white sandy beaches? No, not at all. I'm, I was more of a Gulf Shores kind of kid. That's where we that's where we migrated to. I went to we went to Pensacola maybe once or twice though. I've had some um, good times in Pensacola. Went to some concerts there over the years. Yeah. When I was a student at South Alabama, I'd drive over to Pensacola and watch concerts i want to say in the actual civic center that they played the tournament in i do believe wow. i'd have to look at my ticket stubs saw lenny kravitz there he puts on a great show yeah 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 so look we got the board rolling right here um we gave up a couple earned runs in the first few innings i'm not gonna act like it was up to that it was really something i had any control over because i wasn't informed of some of the settings that we're working with here that were somehow changed but Oh, the rookie's doing well though. You're look, it's it's a great test for you, right? You're you're yeah. you're a highly you're, you're you're like Hunter Brown, right? All right, you're you're a highly touted prospect. Lots of buzz about you. The people love you. The fans want more of you. But there's also going to be growing pains, and yet you just overcome. You say, you know yeah. what? Bored. I'm not going to allow you to derail this show. I'm the producer. I'm trying to be extraordinary. I'm D-Lo. Dang it. This won't happen. Boom. Yeah, we're working on it. We're working on it. <laughs> oh, man. Good conversations, though, back-to-back -back there with Brett Chancy of the Locked On Astros podcast and Bob Marlin, Ridge and Cajun men's basketball coach. If you want to chime in on the conversation, 
We can talk New Orleans Pelicans being dreadful. We can talk Raging Cages men's basketball being really good. We can talk the Astros' expectations for this season with a couple of guys banged up. Give us a call on the hotline, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Poll question of the day. Let's get to that. Poll question of the day. We asked you, are the Pelicans still capable of being a playoff team? That would technically mean also a play-in tournament team. Right now, 48% of you say no. 18% says, when is Major League Baseball's opening day? 17% say yes. 17% say maybe. Let's get to some comments. Ralph on the Twitter says, they have about the same chance as LSU men's basketball making it to the Final Four. For a few weeks, they've managed to allow us to forget the agony of the Saints season. Now they're accessories to the fact. <laughs> oh, that is so brutal. Speaking of the Pels, has anyone conducted a Louis Prejean wellness check recently? No, we need to. Darren says, they are capable, and he made sure to make the R in all caps. But what do you expect? First round loss? Win two games and think you have a great team? Same story every year. Ton on Twitter says, man, this is going to be our year. Zion could be the most talented player in the league, but he, if he's never on the court, what does it matter? Do the Strohs play today? Coach Andres says, believe it or not, we're still in the mix. Even with our record being what it is, we can make a run. The top three are locked, but seeds four through ten are up for grabs. Coach Willie Green has to make adjustments in the starting five and rotation. If he doesn't, this can be the biggest collapse in the NBA. That's the thing that I think is the most frustrating, and I'm glad Coach Andres brought this up on Twitter. The Western Conference is a complete logjam. They have the potential, if they just get their act together, to be a top six seed. But there's nothing suggesting that this team is going to do that. That's the thing. It's all right there for them. This reminds me of the year where the NBA gifted them the easiest schedule after the pandemic paused the season. They were down in Orlando and gifted them the easiest schedule left. And did that team take advantage of it? No, they did not. My opinion on that is that the Astros do play today. Luis Garcia getting the start 12-10 against the Mets. Dawson's just ignoring the Pelicans' conversation altogether. He's like, no, 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 no. There'll be none of this, none of this. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Jamie, who's been patiently waiting. Jamie, good morning, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Good morning, Mr. Third. So uh, I wanted to go in on the poll question and say that uh, I think that the Pels can be a playoff team, but they're definitely not a a finals or a deep run team. Um, As you just read, one of your commenters saying that, uh, you know, Zion can have all the talent in the world, but if he's not on the court, what does it matter? And that's absolutely true. But, uh, yeah, I think they can be a playoff team. But, you know, what's the point of going to the playoffs if you know you're not going to go any further in than just like maybe the first round? So uh, Pelicans fans and, you know, being a lifelong Pelicans fan for the last couple of years, um, we gotta we got to learn this this mantra. And I've said it as a Marlins fan. I've said it as a Buccaneers fan. LSU basketball, men's basketball fans need to learn it as well. There's always next season. There's always next season. There's always next season. Always next season. Outstanding. Hey, bud, 
Uh, the, my daughter, Hattie, would like to say uh, she wants to say hello, and she hopes that you're doing well, Mr. Green. Oh, well, thank you, Hattie. I'm doing pretty good. I got, uh, I got a crazy week. I got two programs today for Black History Month and then an art expo on Saturday, and then I get to breathe. So, But I'm doing good, baby girl. I hope you are, too, and I hope you're keeping your grades up. There it is. Thanks, Jamie. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Y'all have a great day. Funny story about Jamie Dawson. You don't know about this. So Jamie would call the show, and I just would know him as Jamie. So we're out eating in Arneville, where my wife is from. And our daughter, Hattie, kept telling us about her music teacher. And at that grade level, the music teacher would rotate, right? They would come like maybe one or two days a week at a certain school and, and everything like that. So she kept talking about Mr. Green. And so we're out eating, and I'm talking to her. And it's just her and I talking, and my, my wife's away. She was at the counter or whatever it might be. And this guy comes up, and he's like, you're RP3. And I said, yeah. And I go, your voice sounds familiar. And he's like, I'm Jamie. And But my daughter goes, oh, hey, Mr. Green. So like the whole time that I had been talking to Jamie on the show, Hattie had been having him as a teacher and never put the two together until we just randomly ran across each other at a restaurant in, in Arneville, of all places. <laughs> it's like when multiple Spider-Mans were in the same movie. It's like <laughs> the worlds colliding, huh? Worlds colliding. That's right. And Hattie would fuss at me. She goes, that's Mr. Green, Dad. Why you call him Jamie? <laughs> it's like, I says, I can call him Jamie. You have to call him Mr. Green. So that's why we, we depending on when school is in session is when I uh, mention who he is. Sometimes if, if there's school in session, I will typically say Mr. Green. If not, it will be Jamie. <laughs> Keep those phone calls coming. Game hotline is open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You want to get in? You want to talk New Orleans Pelicans? You want to talk Raging Cajuns basketball or baseball or softball? You want to talk LSU? You want to talk the Saints for some reason? <laughs> Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. More RP3 and Company coming up after this. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team and Pat O's. We're going streaking! We'll let you guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Two thousand four New Orleans Bowl. In case you were wondering, <laughs> you were wondering when that alleged uh, occurrence happened between a certain talk show host and the North Texas Mean Green. It was the two thousand four <laughs> New Orleans Bowl. I, I was down there hanging out. I went to the game, and me and a buddy were having a good time. Right, afterwards. And we're at Pato's, and my buddy comes out of the bathroom. He's like, dude, 
there's a bunch of football players here. I go, what are you talking about? There's a bunch of football players from North Texas there here. So I we actually hung out with a bunch of guys from North Texas, and I was like, hey, man, sorry, they lost the game. They played Southern Miss. They lost the game. I was like, man, man, it's it's man. Sorry, you guys lost the game, man. That, that's that's got to really kind of you know suck. And he's like, no. He goes, no, bro. We don't care. We don't care if we win or lose. We get to come to New Orleans. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so their whole mentality when they were coming to the New Orleans Bowl for that stretch was not winning the game. They could care less. They got to spend the night in New Orleans. Is the only thing they cared about. <laughs> oh, I still remember that like it was yesterday. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on James to the show. James, been patiently waiting. Good morning, brother. How are you? I'm good, sir. How you doing today? I'm, we're laughing it up. We're having a good time, and, and a lot of that is at the Pelicans' expense. So we got that going for us. Well, uh, with 20 games left, I've made a major shift in my Pelicans fandom. It's official. There it is. Uh, my new hashtag is going to be, remember, we, we have the, the, the Lakers we can switch, right? Yes. So we switch picks. So I'm all about hashtag two ping pong balls are better than one. <laughs> we're, we're both going to be lottery picks and we get to pick the best one. That's where I'm at right now. Uh, and Zion get traded for another pick. <laughs> I Look, uh, they're, I just, you know, the thing that's frustrating, and I'm not even a Pelicans fan, but what's frustrating is we've seen this team win and play well without Zion. We literally saw it last year. At this time, at this exact time, we saw them make a run, finish the season strong, get into the play-in tournament, and then win the play-in tournament, right? We got, we saw that. I have no idea, with the roster being nearly 98% identical than what it was last year, why this team struggles so bad, so poorly. I just don't, I just don't know. Uh, there's been enough guys with little nicks and dings here and there. There's just no consistency in the lineup. They just can't build that chemistry. And coaching only gets you so far. I, I just... I don't think it's time to blow it up. I think they still got the core of a good team. They just got to get right. And if a guy can't ever get on the court, you got to give up on him at a certain point while there's still some value there. I agree. I just don't think David Griffin's ever going to be that guy to do that. Uh, as long as he's in charge because he has absolutely hitched his wagon to Zion, right? And that's why they gave him the extension. And the success of the Pelicans is going to solely depend on if Zion Williamson can be healthy and Griff has attached himself. I don't know if Griff can put his ego aside and admit that it didn't work out. James, I really don't know if he can. I, I think he'll just keep hoping that Zion can be healthy enough for them to build something. I just don't think that's ever going to happen. Hope isn't a plan. That is correct. <laughs> that is a correct. Thanks for the phone call, brother. Enjoy your day, my friend. Look, you hope that Zion will eventually get to the point where he actually plays games. You, 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 you can rationalize and maybe you can convince yourself, Dawson, of, well, you know, it's like a Joel Embiid situation where he missed a lot of time early in his career. And look at him. He's an MVP candidate and Philly is a perennial playoff team. Well, that's great. They're, they're never a contender, though. I just want to point that out. They haven't figured out how to build a roster really around him. They've put guys around him. They just really haven't been able to construct a roster. And the tanking thing, the process really didn't work. It only worked well, with Embiid. The rest of the guys, it didn't work. So I want to just jump in and, and kind of, you know, I keep hearing this trade Zion thing. And, like, I am actually at the point with, with his injuries where I'm willing to, like, hear out the argument. But, like, 
number one, when is what's the precedent for this? I I don't I don't ever remember a team having a generational talent that was injury prone and actually trading him. Again, you mentioned Embiid and they kept him and they and they worked through it and eventually it worked out for him. Um, like, you know, Greg Oden had injury problems early. They didn't they didn't move him. Like there wasn't a market no. there. Anthony Davis had issues, and you know the Pelicans stuck through it until he wanted out. Like, I don't know what the what the precedent for like this is a generational. This isn't like it's a very good. If if this were Brandon Ingram, who was this really you know who is this really good player and has had and had the number of significant injuries that that Zion had, maybe you'd understand. Like maybe there would be a market there, and somebody would want to move him. But like, is the Pelicans is what they were gonna what they would receive in return? Based on what a team would give up for him, when they know that that he, that he has injury issues, like I, I just don't know. I don't. There hasn't been a precedent for a generational talent. Like I mean, this you can maybe find someone. I think someone would want him. I think right, you'd get a huge up, deal, and, but and is give it? Up, but you're you're setting a new precedent, right? As you're saying, and like, when's that ever happened? Look, he has talent. He still hasn't fully developed into a player because he hasn't been healthy enough to develop into a player. That's the problem. That's the problem. And the cat just can't stay healthy, man. And you can't be, call me old school, you can't be the face of a franchise if you don't play. That It's it's something. Michael Thomas is an immense talent, a great wide receiver. Guy hasn't played. He just hasn't played. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three, we'll talk all things Cowboys of the McNeese variety with Jim Gozzolo. That's next, right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The clock says it's 8.03, which means the final hour of this Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company has arrived. Coming up half an hour from right now, Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of The Bird Rights, will join us as we'll talk all things New Orleans Pelicans. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. It is about those Pels. Do you still feel like they're going to make the playoffs? Yes, no, maybe, or when does Major League Baseball opening day (laughs) arrive is also an option, and that's how I voted. So keep those comments coming as well, and we'll share them throughout today's show. We've touched on a lot of things so far on today's edition of RP3 and Company. Pelicans losing yet again. Raging Cajun softball team gutting out a win against Ole Miss. We previewed the uh, uh, Raging Cajun and McNeese Cowboy baseball game tonight at the Joe, and we're going to talk a little bit about more about that as well as all things McNeese Cowboys with Jim Gazzolo. He's the McNeese beat reporter for the Lake Charles American Press. He's also the host of the McNeese Coaches Show, which returns this Wednesday. Jimmy G from LC, good morning, brother. How are you? I'm here. <laughs> I'm here, he says. Uh, yes, you are. You're the, you're here with bells on as well. Love the enthusiasm as always. You should be busy, in a great mood week. today. Busy week. You should be in a great mood today. You want to know why? 
Because, uh, sure, why? Because apparently your Bears are not going to make the foolish decision to trade Justin Fields. Instead, they're looking to trade the number one pick, they get were some never value. Trade Justin Fields. Stop it. I'm giving you good news. Why are yeah, you being gonna negative? Trade, they're going to trade the number one pick. Okay. Why are you? Well, why wouldn't you trade the number one pick? I would. I would definitely. I'd, I'd trade it twice, maybe three times. There we go. There we go. You are curmudgeon Jones this morning. Thank you for making time for us, bud. <laughs> as always, can't can't wait to see you tonight. As hey, as, as oh, you'll be. I, Raymond, I don't think they were ever going to trade the pick. I think that was all a rouge. In the new press box built at Joe Miller Ballpark, is there a throne for you, Jim, while the rest of us have to sit in the stands? Is there going to be a throne for you? you I, 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 have, I have been told that they have made room for all of the game tonight. <laughs> yeah, the caravan coming over from Lafayette. Look, we love the, you, you'll we love the chunk. You'll be called the back row boys, I think. But you will be there. There you'll it be is. in the booth. With you. Get, get your, see you work your magic. All right, so... Let's start. <laughs> let's let, let's start with baseball because I thought it was pretty important. Even though they dropped the the finale of the series, they were able to get the series win, take two of three, start to maybe kind of build some momentum here. Even though they're still kind of a work in progress with their pitching, what, what do you make of what you saw from the Cowboys over the weekend as they head into tonight's big game against uh, UL? More of what I expect. I think their I think their offense will carry them. Their offense came around. I think that's what's going to lead this team. When you return six players back from an offense, you return the all-time leading hits guy. You return the guy who set the record for most consecutive hits in a row in games, and you got the best hitter who's been out the last two years because of injuries coming back. Uh, that's what you're going to be. Their big concern is going to be. I don't think so much the starting rotation. I think the middle of. Um, the game is kind of the key. The middle of the bullpen, that's going to be the key. Can they get kind of the bridge to the closers? Um, as, as Justin Hill said, can they stop the bleeding when something goes bad so it doesn't spiral at the beginning? That's going to be the key to this baseball team. Uh, who's going to be taking the bump tonight for the Cowboys? I believe you are, aren't you? I'm sure. No, I still have be, some eligibility have left. An interesting game tonight. Uh, <laughs> we will have uh, a young man. Um, oh, you're gonna make me go back to the names, aren't you? It's too early in the year for names. I got too many sports. Uh, I know. How dare from- I ask the beat reporter who's gonna be the starting pitching for the baseball game we're talking about? What was I thinking? Uh, I'm gonna have to look it up because I wrote it today. Uh, but um, I will say this much: uh, you guys are starting, or UL is starting. Uh, Moody from Iowa, and McNeese is starting, I believe, Morrow from Sulphur. So a Sulphur-Iowa matchup in Lake Charles is what we're getting. I got to it. It just took me a moment. I can't wait for that stellar preparation for tomorrow's McNeese Coaches Show as well. <laughs> Coach, well, there's a lot, hey, there's God. A lot, there's a lot we're going to have to unpack between now and then. Because, Coach, what's yeah. his name? Coach, but, what's his okay. name? Hey, how, how you doing? Um, all right, let's switch over to softball. Uh, no, well, look, they, they they have back-to-back top 25 wins, then they lose to South Alabama, and then they, they drop their two games against Ole Miss at the Calgary Classic, number two. That happens as well as one of their best players who was a hero in the game against number 12 Washington and a local girl at that who'd been with the program for a couple years Apparently, she and the program have parted ways. What can you tell us? 
she and the program have parted ways. <laughs> Wild how, how you go from the highest of highs. I mean, she homers to beat number 22 North Texas on Sunday. Homers to beat Washington number nine at the time on Monday. And then is gone. Um, she quit the team. Now, was there a run-in with the coach? Was there disagreements with the coach? Officially, they agreed to disagree. That's the um, official statement. But I've been told that uh, this was not a one-time incident. Um, so, yeah, she, she up and left the team. Uh, whether she gets the year back to the NCAA somehow through redshirt possibilities is always a question. She is graduating in May. I assume she'll enter the transfer portal uh, here soon and play her uh, graduation year and maybe a second year if she gets it back um, somewhere else. Uh, but yeah, this is a this is this has happened a couple of times in these softball where a good player has left late in their uh, career. But the season literally just started. Like, like that's the that's the part I don't understand. It's you're you're a senior. You're supposed to be one of the leaders. Your your team is considered a top forty team. You won a couple games in the in a regional last year, and you beat two top twenty five ranked opponents. And then you you and your coach decide to mutually part ways. It's absolutely bizarre to me. I would say that the we're not mutually parting ways. I think she quit. Um, we're in a time and a culture where kids have the power now and they can count numbers and they see what a redshirt year is and they see what this is going on throughout the country. It's not just at McNeese, but it has been uh, kind of highlighted the last week here at McNeese because we've had Ty, Mac, Ty McMillan quit the basketball team. Autumn Watts quit the women's basketball team. Uh, Case or Knox Keatum has entered the transfer portal. Um, we have basketball players who have opted essentially out of coming back from injuries to hold on to redshirt years, leaving the team with seven um, players healthy. Uh, shall I go on? <laughs> I mean, it, it is the state of modern collegiate athletics, yes. And you're going to get to read about that Thursday morning, or you can read about it tonight. I'll give you a preview of my column on Thursday about this subject. But, yeah, it, this is what we're living in. The power has turned onto the athletes, and they're taking advantage of it. But this is a weird one, only in the sense that if you didn't understand that this has kind of been going on beforehand, um, I think you're shocked by it. But there's some people in the know that have, have kind of indicated to me over the last couple of days that they're not surprised by this. How much does this hurt the cow, uh, Cowgirls? Well, somebody's going to have to step up. Now, uh, there was a girl that had three hits. Otto had three hits uh, and a home run on Saturday and then went over the SFA in her first start since then. But can somebody step up essentially and take the reins of what was the leadership role? She leaped uh, Pollard led in home runs with two, led in RBIs with seven, um, middle of the order, best probably best athlete on the team yeah this is going to be a big hit and i think there was a malaise over the team over the weekend as they kind of sorted through the drama it'll be interesting to see if that passes now that the decision has been made we're talking with the great one jim gozolo mcneese beat oh, reporter I, that. I, I think that's a misnomer the late charles american press 
He's also the host of the McNeese Coaches Show. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, let's shift gears from the diamond to the hardwood. I know how much you love that. All right, where do we stand with one game to go? <laughs> one game to go. Let's start with the women. They're in the conference tournament, correct, as it stands, or yeah. no? They are. Okay. The, the bizarreness of the Southwood Conference is they, they sent out a version of the thing that said McNeese isn't officially in because it's, they, they could end in a four-way tie, to which I had to call the conference and actually tell them, well, wait a minute. You can't because one of the ties would be McNeese and New Orleans, and one of them will presumably win the game tonight and thus move out of the four-way tie. <laughs> so it'll only be a three-way tie, and McNeese has the tiebreaker in the three-way tie. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, so they're in. Now, they could be the sixth seed. They could be the eighth seed. They'll be somewhere in there. They will open up Monday in the tournament at home, um, Monday afternoon against possibly New Orleans again. They may play them twice in a row. So the women were able to rally to get into the conference tournament. The men's situation, they're at the bottom of the standings, yet there's still a chance for them to get in. You explained this to me via text the other day. I'd like you to share this uh, (laughs) mind bender on how the McNeese men's basketball team can get into the conference tournament with a win over UNO tomorrow night at the Legacy Center. I was told there would be no math. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, let's figure this out simply. McNeese must win. And if Northwestern State were to beat Incarnate Word and Nichols were to beat Lamar, both favored, um, then McNeese is in. Uh, they would be in as the, I believe, seventh or eighth seed, depending on how the uh, top bracket tears out with their because they would tie Incarnate Word, and Lamar would be out. So McNeese holds the tiebreaker over uh, Incarnate Word, but not Lamar. That's the big thing to remember. So they need to win. Then they also need Incarnate Word to lose and Lamar to lose. Yes. To get in. All right. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, though. But (laughs) I'm not done with the weirdness of this. If there were to be a three-way tie, which would mean McNeese and Lamar were to win, Incarnate Word were to lose, and Northwestern State were to win, which they would obviously have to do for Incarnate Word to lose, and Corpus Christi would lose to Commerce, there is a functional question as to whether McNeese would actually then be the number one seed of the three remaining and thus get the eighth seed. But that is way off in the distance, and I, I so many things would have to happen. I'm not going to worry about that until sometime tomorrow night. Do you – I mean, the first thing's first. They, they need help, obviously. We'll wrap it up with this. They yes. need some help. But they have to take yes. care of business themselves by yes. beating UNO. Can they do that with only playing seven players, including having their starting point guard now out for the season? Um, I don't think so. Uh, the problem is that uh, the kid Johnson – UNO's leading scorer, who did not play in the first game of McNeese Rally from 22 points down to win at the buzzer, uh, he will be back with his 17 points a game. He returns, Trey English leaves. That's a combination that you've got to now make up some 27 points that wasn't the swing before. I don't know if at one point when you can do that. Um, I would I would expect not, if you ask me in my opinion. I would expect not. 
My man, great stuff as always. Baseball, softball, women's basketball, men's basketball. My man can talk about it all. That's why he's the host of the Meanies Coaches Show. Thank you for your time, brother. You didn't even get to the quarterback in case and not, you know, taking a powder and leaving town. Well, I mean, we didn't get to it because that was expected, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. There it is. <laughs> yeah, he saw the writing on the wall and said, uh, okay, I, I got to go somewhere else. So best of luck to him. I hope everything works out well. Brother, I'll see you tonight, bud. Enjoy yourself. Hey, hey, remember, you can park now in the, in the uh, fire station lot if you want to go and make an easier trip for yourself. Thank you, brother. <laughs> I'll see you tonight, man. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. How concerned should you be about your favorite team's recent struggles? Time to sound the alarm for Decon Level with D-Lo on the game. There we go. We're back. It's tough, too, this segment, you know, because the problem with the segment is that in order to do the segment, you have to have teams losing and being, you know, unsuccessful. That's kind of like the whole premise of the idea. So I enjoy that I get to do the segment, but, you know, the fact that I have to do it. Also, this is a – all right, I think we have everything figured out with the computer. All right. Now your mic's on. Now you can talk. There it is. We were shutting you off from the listeners <laughs> for a minute there. You know, in spite of the technical glitches today, I feel like we're having a great show. We are the opposite of the Pelicans. Yeah, or the, the Pelicans. There. The energy's there, for sure. So that's that's where we'll start here. Um, decon level. We're going to have a new record today because we've only had one iteration of this. And again, I wasn't, as if you'll remember, I wasn't overly concerned about the Cajuns men's basketball team. They've since figured things out for the most part as well. So I'd like to I'd like to chalk that one up in the W column for the segment. <laughs> um, the Pels are coming in at a three point eight, a three point eight out of five. So we're getting we're getting up there. That's going to be the new record, and that's I mean yeah, that's pretty up there. So um, you know we're not into that four range, which the fours of course are when you're really you're really in dire straits. Oh and yeah, then, oh yeah, absolutely. Obviously, if you hit a five, then that's going to be uh, we'll have to have a new sign, you know, new kind of we'll have to have extra sirens. I know everyone probably loves those in their ears at seven, well eight twenty five in the morning. But anyway, um, they're they're at a three three point eight for me, and the reason being. Look, I, we've seen this team now play a, 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 a decent sample size of games with Brandon Ingram back, with C.J. McCollum healthy, uh, with Trey Murphy and With Herb, Herb Jones, Jones back, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. The injury concern, you know, the whole like, oh, this team's not – that's not really a thing anymore. Yeah, Zion's out. I understand that. But you have to be able to overcome – like injuries happen in basketball. I mean, you have to be able to overcome one injury – and again, it's an injury that they had last year, and they did overcome last year. They didn't have Zion down the stretch. They didn't have him in the play-in tournament. They didn't have correct. him in the playoff series against Phoenix. So This is correct. And they won games at a far higher rate than they're winning right now. So it's concerning for sure, and that's, that's where I come in with my number. I think the only reason they're not in the fours right now is because of the Western Conference standings and the fact that they're still within striking distance of, of everything they want to accomplish remarkably. Um, now, at the same token, 
they're now you, you you had that cushion for a long time where you know we we kind of we didn't even really consider falling out of the play in tournament as a you know fairly realistic option. That's right there now. You know, we we're joking about the Lakers pick swap earlier. The Lakers are right there. I mean, they're going to the pass Blazers you. and the Lakers are playing better basketball in the last two weeks than the Pelicans are by a lot. And look, I don't know if Portland's going to sustain that. We'll see. I mean, Damian Lillard he went off for seventy one points. It was against the worst team in the NBA. So you know, I don't want to put too much stock into that. But he's playing well. Um, but the Lakers are the team, I think. But that's the the thing with the position you've put yourself in is it only takes one of those teams to overtake you to now fall out of the playing tournament completely. For the record, uh, I believe I said this on Foot Show and not this one, so I'll say it here. I hate the playing tournament. I hate that twenty out of thirty teams in the NBA make the postseason in some form or fashion. I think the postseason should be earned and not given. You said this on this show as well, and you and I are in agreement. I think the playing tournament waters down the level of competition, and I think it's just a participation trophy that the NBA is taking advantage of due to the pandemic. Yeah, and, and I and yeah. I understand why they do it because, again, it has us right now talking about the play, the Pelicans' playoff opportunities and things like that. I think 16 was already – I was already not a fan of that, the fact that more than half the league made the playoffs in the other format. But um, I'm not a fan of the extra two teams in the NFL adding in, and I'm not a fan of Major League Baseball all that much, although Major League Baseball, I think, had an argument to maybe expand a little bit. I'm getting sidetracked. Back to how bad the Pelicans are. <laughs> Um, I don't know if it gets much better is my is my biggest concern. The, the crazy thing to me is that it felt like they were starting to turn the corner a little bit at the end of the All-Star break there. They started to play a little bit better. And they added a really good piece who's played pretty well for the most part in Josh Richardson. Like, he, he brings yes. some energy. He kind of reminds me of Josh Hart from back in the day. He plays hard on both sides. He can knock down the three when he's open. He plays good defense. Um, he, he's probably a little bit better player than Josh Hart is in but my Valich opinion. But Valachunas has regressed. Certainly. Uh, he was always a defensive liability, but offensively he is disappearing. And the fact that they've decided to bench Trey Murphy, their best three-point shooter, I don't quite understand why that is. And I yeah. don't understand why you have Alvarado and Lewis Jr. who give your team a spark. Anytime they come into the game, they give your team a spark. You're not playing them more. You would think a team that's desperate, you think a team that is struggling, driving the struggle bus, would say, hey, let's utilize these talented guys. They're not. That's the thing that kind of stands out to me is Willie Green making smart decisions. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of dive into each one of those. Um, Valanchunas, I, don't, I know he hasn't played well as of late. I think he's still more matchup dependent as, a, as an offensive player, even though offense is his strong suit. Um, I think he, when he has good matchups, I think he's going to give you good numbers. Now, my bigger concern for him is just he is a defensive liability, and you know, a guy that you're playing in the middle to try to protect the rim and things that he doesn't give you a lot of that. So that is, you know, certainly an issue. As for Trey Murphy, I, I don't know. I understand whether or not he's not playing very well right now, and when he's not making threes, he needs to be doing other things for you to change the game. And I didn't feel like he did that over his last, you know, eight to ten games. At least Herb last night, who, I, again, Herb's not a great three-point shooter, and he takes a lot of them, and that kind of becomes a problem. Uh, but last night, he did impact the game on the defensive end. He had a couple of steals. Him and Richardson, I think, when they're out there together, they just they kind of really cause havoc for opposing you know, guards and forwards. But I understand why Murphy's not playing more, but yeah, you do need to get him back going. You need to get him in the mix. The one that doesn't make sense to me at all is Alvarado, and I agree with you. I mean, he's... Because, again, I go back to the point that I don't like C.J. McCollum playing point guard more than he has to because 
He's not a pure point guard. He's definitely better with the ball out of his hands to start, you know, certain offensive possessions. Um, then Brandon Ingram kind of ends up being point anyway because he gets the ball so much. I think if you put Alvarado in there and played him a solid, like, I want to see him play 25, 30 minutes a game for a decent, like, two or three-week stretch and see what you can get out of him because I understand at times he gets a little bit, you know, a little bit too excited with the ball sometimes, maybe mm-hmm. turns it over here and there. But he's certainly not playing any worse than anybody else you have at that point guard position. And, yeah, Kyra as well. Um, but if you're not going to play Kyra, then that's all the more reason to give Alvarado more minutes, in my opinion, and, and you're not getting that right now. And, I mean, Alvarado hit a big three last night, tried to get you back. It was a contested little kind of fadeaway in the corner, too. It was a great look. Um, he has the ability to be a scorer distributor, and I don't, I don't know if the Pelicans are right now letting him live up to his full potential. I know there's deficiencies in his game. He's not a perfect player. Um, but I, I think he's a guy who you've got to get more from right now. And, you know, aside from that, it's it's just, are you going to get Zion back? That's another, that factor into the 3.8 rating today because, you know, I don't know if you're getting him back now, and I'm not sure you're really ever going to consistently have him. So I'm not ready to trade him. I'm not, like, on that, you know, on that side of the fence, but I would be listening to what other teams had to say. Like, I would be, I'd be hearing him out at this point, which is something I, I mean, even a month or two ago, I would have said, no way. Like, he's a franchise cornerstone. At Portland, at Golden State, at Sacktown, at home versus Dallas, versus Oklahoma City, versus Portland, versus the Lakers. Those are the next seven games. They're not, it's not a gauntlet. Like, it's not a, it's, it's, it's not a gauntlet, but this team str- can't beat the, the Magic. Right. Well, well, that's the thing. Like, if if this team is what we what we've seen over the last three four weeks, then yeah, they're going to lose probably sixty to seventy percent of those games. If they become what we thought they always could be and what we saw them be for the first two months, you should win more more than those more than you lose out of that. Stretch. We'll wrap it up with this: Are you mentally preparing yourself for them to lose either one or both of the games against the Rockets on no. the seventeenth and the nineteenth? No, I'm not. That we're not there yet. <laughs> If we were in the fours, I'll let you know. We'll have a d- look. If they lose, if to, they the Rockets, lose to the Rockets, the dude. segment's coming, and we're doing it at six a.m. So I can do it like three segments long because at that point, yeah, we will reach the uh, oh, the reach the, the apex. war zone alarm yes. sound level. There it is. So, yeah. That's good stuff, bud. Good stuff. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, Ali Cassell will join us, editor in chief of the Bird Rights. I don't think he's going to be is. I don't think he's going to be very optimistic about the Pelicans, but we'll do that next for you right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. When you think of silky smooth, you obviously think of RP3 and Company. And when we think of silky smooth guest, we think of our next friend. 
He's the editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. Ollie Cassell joins us now. Ollie, good morning to you, bud. How are you? <laughs> good morning, Raymond. Would have been a whole lot better if they could just win a game. <laughs> bud, I, so we'll start there. It's inexplicable to lose to one of the worst teams in the league, the Orlando Magic, that are not good offensively. And they're terrible away from Orlando. They're one of the worst road teams in the association. Why is this team just can't seem to figure things out, Ollie? I just I just don't understand. The majority of the roster is the same as it was last year when they didn't have Zion and they made it into the play-in tournament and then they made it into the playoffs. Explain this to me. Make this make sense to me. Yeah, so they've become, honestly, one of the worst teams in the league, too. And they're, they're worse than the Orlando Magic for, I'd say, what, the last two months. Um, and it's been a domino effect. It started with the injuries where missing Zion and then Brandon Ingram had already been out, really did take a toll on this team. Before, they could stomach some missed games from guys here and there because the young guys, they still had more energy. There was more togetherness in terms of on the court play, right? The chemistry was there. Now everybody's gone through some kind of confidence issues because they've had their roles elevated. And it, it, it's honestly, it's just become, they've become overburdened, right, by the fact of all these injuries. So, you can see it. They, they just either, you know, against the Lakers, for instance, they don't have the energy. Against the Knicks or a lot of other teams, they suddenly can't make a single shot like last night against Orlando. I mean, how many games can you expect to win when you make just a handful of threes? In this league, you've got to make at least 35 or so percent of your shots. And unfortunately, the Pelicans have not been doing it. So, like I said, it's, it, I hate to say it, but it's like a perfect storm where you can't sustain anything and you can't create anything unlike like I said towards the end of last year because you're right same almost starting lineup there was no Zion but there was just confidence right and if you don't have it you're not going to win games and that's what we're seeing now Valachunas has been I don't know kind of average offensively he's always been a less than average defensive player but last few weeks or so he looks a little lost offensively What's going on with the big fella? Yeah, and that's the other part. Thank you, Raymond. Balanchunas is hurting. He can barely walk around. We watched him in the locker room last night after the game, and, and he's, he's limping badly. It seems like since he sustained that quad injury, uh, what was it, about eight games ago or so, and had to miss a game, right? He's a Mr. Ironman, never misses games. So you know when he sits, boy, he really couldn't go. But he hasn't been the same since then. Um, and he's not getting the touches now, too. So I don't know whether that's because he is hurting or whether because he just can't go when he does get, say, he catches the ball in the post or somewhere else. He just can't really do anything with it because he can't move. And you really noticed that in last night's game. When he was out there on the perimeter trying to guard anybody, everybody was getting around him with such ease. And like I said, he's playing out there on one leg. But the other problem is CJ. He... uh injured a ligament in his shooting thumb, and that's been going on for about a couple of weeks now, too. So suddenly, Brandon Ingram, like last year, started this season, could rely on their offensive support. Now he doesn't have it. When you look at down the rest of the bench, the rest of the guys, honestly, Raymond, can you name one reliable score that you've got left? I can't. And so that's been the other part of the problem, too. You're too big guys that you're supposed to be depending on next to B.I. without Zion, they're hurting and they can't give you but maybe 60% of what they normally do. That's part of it. 
I know Trey was not playing well before the All-Star break, okay? Mm -hmm. But we saw flashes of what he could do prior to that where he was able to step up and became a pretty good starter and was doing some other things besides just shooting the three ball. He has a good All-Star weekend, and we come out of the All-Star weekend, and he's coming off the bench. What's the thought process with Willie Green there? Is Does he think they're better served, him coming off the bench, or is he trying to get them to get right? I, 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 I keep getting asked why is Trey coming off the bench now. Well, before he was moved to the bench, the starting lineup was terrible. They couldn't, again, make a shot. They were dragging offensively, but worse, defensively, they couldn't stop anybody. I mean, going back from the Lakers' loss to the six previous games to that, they had something like 106 offensive rating, 130 defensive rating. So look at that disparity, right? You're not winning any games with that. As to where any other lineup combination during that time was a positive. So making a change of starting lineup made all the sense in the world. Um, especially when your bigger problem was defensively. And you thought, I'm sure Willie thought that he could get Trey going because he, let's face it, Trey hasn't looked like the same guy either outside of those first two months or so. His three ball's been just hit or miss, and lately it's been miss. I mean, over the last four games, I want to say he's just made two threes out of close to, what, 18, 20 attempts. So if you're not getting that from Trey, then you're not really getting anything because defensively he's still subpar, right? He's in the second year. He's still learning how to play defense because it wasn't natural to him, unlike, say, a Herb or a Dyson. So that's what Willie opted for, get Josh Richardson in there, better defender, a lot better veteran presence. And I'll tell you what, Josh has been fine. But it's, it's like I said, he, he and Brandon Ingram are surrounded by other guys that just can't go. Outside of CJ and uh, Jonas, Herb's confidence issues <laughs> have really been hurting. Last night in the fourth quarter, he uh, passed up some threes, but at least he turned them into points at the rim. But like I said, it seems like everybody right now, Raymond, is going through something, and, and that's why the, the wheels have completely fallen off this bus. Jose Alvarado, though, gives this team a spark when he plays. Does he not play enough, in your opinion? Yeah, for right now, I would make the argument he should see more minutes. I mean, he had a big three in last night's game from a corner when they were trying to battle back in the second half, right? It seemed like the team just couldn't get over the hump. They fall by, say, behind 10 points, then bring it back to within one, two, or even tie it. But Jose, you're right. He's a guy that could have single-handedly maybe changed that momentum, and, and he seemed fresh. And, hey, he was our rising stars MVP. So, like Trey coming off a nice all-star weekend, Jose, you would think, would be flying on, you know, cloud nine. So I'm surprised he didn't play more, Raymond. And I'm also shocked that you're not utilizing or even giving a chance to Kyra Lewis or Dyson Daniels. Dyson can give you the defense that I think you need in the starting lineup, but he can also push the pace, right? I mean, I don't think there's anybody better on this team that can grab his own rebound and then push the ball up the court and make something happen. Dyson's that guy. And of course, Kyra, in his limited minutes, he looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. But he's shooting lights out. He's faster than anybody. If you need a spark of some kind, why not give him a shot? So I'm hoping that Willie Green goes to one of these two, if not both of them, on this road trip. They've got to figure out something because these three games could very easily result in losses. 20 games are left. They're firmly implanted as the 10 seed as it would playoffs would begin today. That's where they would be in the playing tournament, barely. But the Lakers and Portland are right there with them. 
They have a road yeah. trip at the Trailblazers, at Golden State, at Sacktown before coming back home against Mavericks, OKC, and then Portland and the Lakers again. Those seven, that seven-game stretch, it's not a gauntlet, but the way the Pelicans have been playing, it feels like one. What do they need to do in the next seven games, Ollie? They've got to beat Portland and the Lakers. Now you just want to stay in that playing tournament picture, right? Lakers just lost LeBron, what it sounds to be maybe a couple of weeks due to his uh, foot that he injured against the Mavericks. So you get a break there. Portland doesn't look like a team that's, you know, trying to win to me. They've made some peculiar moves last offseason and now even before the trade deadline to where it feels like it's just Dame out there. So I'm not sure what their plan is, but you've got to beat them. You've got to keep them below you, and you've got two matchups against them in, what, the next six games. So that's that to me is that's the recipe. If you really want to make this playing tournament, keep those teams below you. Because I'm not sure Utah, who's, what is it, half a game or a game above the Pelicans, is even going to fall out of the picture. Because somebody has to fall out if you're going to let one of those two teams sneak in. Right. So New Orleans has to figure out a way, Raymond. they got to figure out a way to get something here, a win on the road. And then when they come back, start winning your home games. That's something they were doing a fantastic job of in the first two and a half months. And they've kind of lost their way. What do you make of what you're seeing from Willie Green? He did such a good job as a rookie head coach rallying the team after the McCollum trade to get into the playing tournament and then to win the playing tournament. Uh, and he started off strong this year, but it's been a bit of a struggle. What do you make of what you're seeing from the second-year coach? Yeah, his rotations I feel like could be better, maybe some X's and O's, but he hasn't really been the problem to me. I hear what the coaching staff is telling the players um, in terms of like they've got to get more three-point shots up. They're trying to get them to push the pace and do several other things that just isn't translating to the court. That's why I said these players have just all, for whatever reasons, their own varying reasons, have hit a wall. And it's all happened at the same time. And so I fear that this team's just going to keep on floundering for the most part until they get the big guy back. And who's to say when he'll be back? But maybe maybe they could get him back, say, in another couple of weeks. Maybe three at the most. But they need him. They need some kind of big spark. Because outside of Brandon Ingram, I'm not sure who else Willie Green can rely on at this point. Ooh, brother, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 rough, but you know what? What's not rough talking to you every week, my friend. Thank you for making the time, as always, brother. Try to keep your head up. Try to be Mr. Positivity, Ollie. We'll talk to you next week, brother. Absolutely, Raymond. Thank you, buddy. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer. Or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Before we get to the final results of the poll question of the day, I got great news for you, D'Lo. You ready for it, bud? 
I know we've had some technical issues today, but you've been a champ. You've powered through. Proud of you. Great effort. Great uh, ability to be able to be uh, resilient. Shout out to you. I got the Saints quarterback of the future. He's now available. He's now available looking for his fourth team in as many seasons. Former MVP candidate Carson Wentz. Come on down. It didn't work in Philly. It did work with his quarterback coach in Indianapolis. It did work in Washington, but it can work in the black and gold. Injury prone, turnover prone, Carson Wentz is about to come to New Orleans and lead the Saints to glory. Move over, Red Rifle. It's the Wentz Show. Let's go. I don't have any comments. (laughs) (laughs) who would you who would you want more i'm not going to (laughs) entertain these types of ideas baker mayfield or carson Wentz? baker mayfield oh my god it's close honestly no i might have to think about it this is the state of the saints again Taysom hill i i (laughs) tweeted it the other day i'm ready to have the i'm ready to have qb1 conversations if the saints look at Derek Carr. which by the way Derek carr Man, he's taking his time, huh? Oh, he's enjoying this. Yeah, that doesn't that, that doesn't bode well for the Saints. But then, I mean, well, the other day there's a report that he, you know, there's no deal imminent with the Jets, and he's taking his time. I don't know. I mean, lots of people lie and give bad information to the media. Oh no, yeah, I that well, you know, <laughs> just say it, just say it. Oh man, poll question of the day: Are the Pelicans still capable of being a playoff team? Forty three percent of you say no. say maybe, 19% say when is Major League Baseball's opening day, and 18% of you say yes, thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day and left their comments on Facebook and Twitter. I want to take a moment to thank all of our guests. Brett Chancey from the Locked on Astros podcast. Raging Cajuns men's basketball coach Bob Marlin. He also gave us a great place to go eat at when we go to Pensacola. Jim Gazzolo, well-prepared man from the Lake Charles American Press. And Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. Whew. Good show. It's a good Tuesday edition of the show. Shout out to you, D-Lo. You did a good job today, bud. Appreciate that. Yeah, we had a couple. Look, they threw some blitz looks we weren't prepared for. They hadn't seen that on film yet. We tried to work through it. But you know what happened at the end? We jumped off a couple screens, broke a few big plays, and here we are. You still led us to a game-winning drive. That's what we're here for. There it is, bud. For the producer, soon to be extraordinaire, Mr. Dawson Iserlo. I'm Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. We'll do this bad boy again tomorrow, 6 to 9. We got Ron Higgins stopping by, Jay Walker, and Andrew Juge. So we'll talk LSU Cajuns and Saints. That'll be all on tap tomorrow. Of course, we'll also recap Cajuns and Cowboys baseball for you, as well as I'll be headed over to Lake Chuck with Footsie for that. But until then... Be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.